you don't know what the other line, what the on, what the other side of the line is going to be. So you quit something, and you don't actually know, and you will never know until you quit, until you leave something, until you cross that transition line. You won't actually know what life is like until the other side. I'm Sarah Wyler, TEDx speaker, coach, and creative multi-passionate, and I'm fascinated by how we navigate quitting. Whether it's a project, a relationship, or where we live, the emotional turmoil of bringing something to a close can be deeply uncomfortable. In the past four years of research, I've come to see that knowing when to quit is really about getting to know ourselves. It's about becoming attuned to our bodies and the murmurs of our hearts and knowing what it feels like when something is complete. I'm so excited to share this podcast with you. It feels like exactly the right moment to be having these conversations. We're so afraid of quitting, yet it can be our greatest teacher. It shows us what's important to us, what our boundaries are, and what conditions we personally need to thrive in this lifetime. When we allow it, quitting really is the facilitator of joy. Hi, and welcome to the final episode of the second series of Knowing When to Quit. It has been so great to have you with us over the last eight episodes. Now, today is a biggie. Have you ever changed your life so much that you felt like you were completely starting over? Today's guest, Rob Grundle, has done just that. After 12 years of living in London and building a life here, about 18 months ago, Rob said goodbye to the people, communities and projects he'd built and returned to Australia with his family. While in London, Rob had started the music community Imaginary Millions, run his leadership coaching consultancy Some Kind and was pastor for a small Christian community. Shortly after returning home to Oz, he also decided to quit the church he was part of. Stripped back from all of his identities, Rob is now asking himself, who am I now? And is there a way I don't have to identify quite so deeply with the things I create in future? This is an incredibly powerful episode, which will get everyone wondering, who would I be without all the things in my life? And for anyone who's ever found themselves starting again, this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy it. Finally, if you're enjoying this podcast and want to support us, there's three ways you can do that. Firstly, you can rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that can help it get up in the charts and reach more people. Secondly, you can share this episode with others and help spread the word. And thirdly, you can buy us a coffee at ko.fi dot com forward slash Sarah Wyler. Enjoy the episode. Holding Cool. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Sarah. Where are you calling from today? 
I am in Ocean Grove, which is an hour and a half um, west of Melbourne, so in Australia. Oh, my God. Do you know what I realised, yeah. Rob, today is that it's Australia Day today, 26th of Jan. It is. You are my first Australian guest, and I feel like this is no coincidence that we've chosen today. <laughs> there we go. It's perfect. <laughs> um, what has taken you to Australia? Obviously, you are Australian, but we met in London. Do you want to just share a little bit about, like, your last your like journey with going back to Australia yes so um my wife and I my wife Pam and I got married and um we I had a travel bug and she'd been traveling her whole early 20s and so we said let's move to London for an adventure so we moved over there first it was one year two years five years we ended up having our two children there Tommy and Finn and uh after 12 years um, we decided to leave London, um, uh, you know, which we, which we can get into. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we, we left, um, during COVID, uh, which was stressful, actually really, really stressful. And then we've, we've moved, um, we've moved here to Ocean Grove. So yes, I am Australian and I'm returning back to Australia, but feeling perhaps less Australian now. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that. Like, oh, we'll just go to London for a bit 12 years later. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yes. And so then um, deciding to leave London uh, was big and it was big for all of us, but for very different reasons. So in, in, uh, in London, I had, I'd recreated my identity in London. I found, I've, I remember in the, in the early days of London, like just walking around and seeing people, you know, like walking around Brick Lane, perhaps, and seeing someone just dressed up in a certain way, to whatever, with a huge amount of flair. And they obviously didn't care that uh, how they looked. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is good, isn't it? That I can just, uh, just I, I can just wear what I want and uh, do what I want in this place. And, um, wow. and maybe even redefine my identity, but maybe even discover it uh, for the first time. I think that's, for me, what the journey of, london really was and so therefore because of that um you know the the journey went through a whole bunch of different communities the improv community the music community the hip-hop community the coaching community and and along that journey i made connections and relationships with people all the way on that journey and so my identity became um synonymous with those communities and those relationships and so then leaving london um felt like yeah uh, leaving a lot of that behind or something like that I'm curious that you said you're leaving it behind do you feel like you can only do that in London then do you feel like Australia enables that kind of self-expression or exploration in the same way great question so I in London here's here's what happened toward the end so in London I was at certain times a pastor I was um, I ran a music jam night called Imaginary Millions, which ran once a month, which is probably the most meaningful thing I've manifested or created. Yeah. Um, and I ran my own consultancy, uh, and then there were, and then maybe a few other smaller things. But and in some ways, certainly those were three. And and yeah, and, and I was a coach there. But I guess that relates to my consultancy. But those were three huge areas where. I had found an identity that actually felt like me. It felt those felt like places 
where I could fully turn up as me. And in leaving London, I don't, London isn't the place where I can only be those things, but the identity was created there. And so in leaving London, um, I don't have a jam night here. I'm not running a consultancy here. I don't have a um, spiritual group that I'm involved with here. Because um, in coming back, we 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 joined we joined the local affiliate of the church that I had been part of for 25 years, and then after a year or less than a year, nine months, we actually left that as well, which is probably even more monumental, to be honest. So um, there's that sense of um, attachment I had to all of those things. Uh, and then all those things, those manifestations of it, the jam night, my consultancy, my clients, uh, my spiritual community in London no longer existed, right? So those things are no longer there. And so then who am I in absence of all of those um, relationships, which were constantly mirroring back um, what I felt were meaningful parts of me? It's huge to step away and, and actually rare to get the perspective. Like, what have you noticed about yourself in the absence <laughs> of those things? Because not many people get to do this, to like totally step away from their life, go to the other side of the world and be like, no. oh yeah, that's who I was. I'm just like, yeah, well, what's that been like? Um, Horrific, actually. Okay. Like I, I spent a lot of time in London preparing for um, the loss. And so when, when Pam and I made the decision, we were in a cafe in Lewisham, in Sparrow Cafe. We, it was, well, much of we made the decision, but it, it became clear that that's where, where, what was happening next. We also acknowledged, Pam said, you know, this is going to be hardest for you, Rob, because um, yeah. Pam was ready to leave. And in fact, she was probably ready to leave much um, earlier than I was. And yes, I, I said, yes, I know. And so I, you know, a year before I left, I started writing a day in the diary and, and did a countdown. And I had a list of people who I wanted to close with, you know, that, the, the last kind of dinners with and um, spent, you know, time with the music community thinking about how we close that as well. And so I spent so much time closing. And I think that's all been really good. To be honest, yeah. I think was that was, and you know, I don't know we can talk more about maybe specifics or whatever, but um, still, <laughs> I I love um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, you know, the death and dying lady, or as she wants to be known as the life and living lady. You know, she says if you have a good death where you can find closure with everything, and she's talking about the people who are left behind. You know, a person has died, but the people left behind, if they're able to find closure with the with that person, say what everything needs to be said, she said there'll be grief, but there won't be any grief work. In other words, you know, you still want which I think is a really interesting distinction. Yeah, so a lot of grief can be that there's stuff not said or or not not processed, totally, or not, yeah. not expressed, and not expressed exactly. Whereas whereas raw grief is just the just wishing they were still here, right? And that's that's. You know, and I I think I'm too still too close to it to to go. I don't know what what emotions have come up in the last year and a half, but certainly it's been a lot of grief and um yeah. And to be honest, it's been the hardest. I've never really suffered from anxiety much before, um, or or even been close to a depression. But um, both those things happened in the last in the last year. So. Um, 
it wasn't for me, it wasn't going, oh, great, I get a clean start. It, it felt like, um, so, you know, if we think about the, the, the idea of quitting, I don't feel like I quit London. I feel like I left London. <laughs> but but what I did quit was the church. That was that was an actual quit. That was that was a that was a decision to actively step out of that community. Whereas with London it was this is going to hurt and I don't know quite how to re rebuild. I don't know I don't know how I'm going to rebuild on the other side. I'm hearing so much intention in your closing. And like, I think one of the things yes. I talk about is beautiful endings and how yes. can we, when we know something's <laughs> ending, how can we like make it a really beautiful thing? And we greet, yes. we have a funeral for people, don't we? And we celebrate their life. But when we That's have right. big life changes, when we end relationships, when we move away from, from cities, all these things, we can create ritual. And I, you know, I got that lovely email from you thanking for our friendship in London. And I really felt that you were taking time to close for you and for the people left behind, which in a trip, in a tough situation, sounds like a really healthy thing to do. I don't know how it was for you to do it or. In the moment, it was, it was fantastic. Like those, those, that last year of London was actually really meaningful and I'd, look, I'd written 50 things that I wanted to do like I want to go back to this restaurant and you know go to this hill or whatever whatever it was I only ended up got to only got to do four of those things uh just because of COVID <laughs> oh, right, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um but even just you know writing those emails I think I had a list of 100 and something people to write and even even the fact I had that long list was like that's incredible like how how, how lucky am I? How lucky am I to be able to write these and go, you know, and there were some people who um, had been really meaningful at the start of London. And so I could write them and say, hey, you, you know, 12 years ago, you know, you ran my first improv class or whatever it might have been, you know, and that, and that was so I think, to be honest, when I think about the people that I'm grieving, it's um, it's actually only very, very few. Sometimes they go, oh, it'd be nice to get a coffee with that person. But actually, so again, it's hard for me to say, but I think, I do think it, those rituals, I, like you're saying, Sarah, like really, really, really help. Yeah, mm. really, really help. Um, and um, to be mindful in, in, yeah, just being gracious and saying everything that needs to be said. There was, and, and in fact, this was really important. There was two. There were two emails I didn't want to write. So two mm -hmm. people who I who I'd done something with. There was one person um, with whom um, they were meant to do some work for me, and I had paid them some a considerable amount of money to, for them to do that work for me. And then they ended up ghosting, and I never chased it. I never chased them down. It just it and and it just became a thing that was hanging in the air. Mm. and um, writing an email was really tough saying, hey, I really, it was great to get to know you. And also this was really tough and I, I yeah. didn't appreciate how that, you know, how that relationship with them and what I would have preferred was blah, blah, blah. And did you hear back from them? You did. I heard back from them. I did. And they, and they were so thankful that, um, and, and they talked about what was happening for them at that time and everything. Mm. And it was such a meaningful thing just to, um, interaction to have That's so powerful i forgot about that actually what was the other one you didn't want to write well 
you know, I actually hesitate to bring it up because I haven't written it. Oh, I yeah, see. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was actually, and, and it was because it was something that I did, uh, which, is, which is really interesting. So actually, um, I'm I'm putting a pen to paper right now just to go right. How do I? I have to I have to deal with that. Because it's 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 because that's interesting, right? Even as we're talking now, and as as I think about it, my throat is tightening, and I go, yeah. oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. The, the sensation I'm getting, I know it sounds a bit weird, but it's almost like you were dying and you were saying all these things that you had to say. Like a lot of people before they die would say all these things. Yes. Does it feel like that? <laughs> very, very much so. And um, just before I left London, I actually did a death doula course. Um, so death, death, has, death has been in my, um, I don't know, periphery or whatever you want to say, interest. You know, sometimes it, you're just cold to something and death, I've been cold to death for a long time. And so, yes, uh, so it did feel like a death and I was treating it like a death as if, as if, and, and this is important, Sarah, actually, this is really important. You're exactly right. It's like a death because even if the relationships continue with any of those people, that chapter is over. And I was really deliberate about that to say, because a lot of people were, people hate death, right? They hate thinking about death. And so I would say things like, I'm leaving. And they would say things like, oh, but we can still Zoom. It's like, yes, we can, but actually if we do, that's going to be our new relationship. That's going to be our re reborn relationship after this death, where we go, how do we want to see each other? When do we want to see each other? You know, and it's been interesting noticing that actually, which which relationships actually want to continue and which have, to be honest, some and some some of the most closest and deepest relationships that I had in London um, are taking a completely different shape now. And and so so I think that that border between ending something, whether you choose to or not choose, or you know, like I don't think it matters actually either way, but that that border um is important. And if you can if in fact if you can treat it like a death, you'll actually do it as a you will honor you will honor the moment more rather and people will think, or by me saying I'm leaving and it's, you know, it's going to be different that I'm being dramatic or um, somehow final, but actually then we get to really honor what this time has been. We get to really sit in it and really yeah, squeeze all the juice out of it and, and maybe say some things that, and reflect on some things that otherwise we would perhaps never, because, you know, we might, we, we might not speak to each other that much after, you know, so anyway. I really hear you on that. And I think there's, I had a situation recently with my co-active, we've both done CTI, haven't we? Mm -hmm. And um, with my certification pod. So I don't know if you did yours in person, but mine was all online because of, um, yeah, pandemic vibes. Um, of course. But in our last group, um, someone proposed that because it was the last one, we should continue hanging out. <laughs> and what would that yeah. look like? And I said, okay, I'm going to be really provocative, but I actually feel sometimes there is a fear of ending and by us not by us trying to keep in touch, we're actually not honoring that this is the end and we might not say the things we actually need to say. And I think it took a few people of that, but I was like, I don't want to continue this trying to yeah. meet monthly and no one turns up and no. it's a bit ad hoc. 
Because actually yeah. that feels like it cheapens what we've had for this like container for six months. And I know that people are continuing to meet, but I don't go. And I think maybe two people show up a month. But I yep. was like, guys, we've been, this is our final session. Let's like not spend it trying to keep in touch. Let's spend it being like, <laughs> wow, what have we just been through for six months? But it's an, it's an uncomfortable thing. And I think like your friends being, oh, no, no, but it's not going to change. We can still Zoom. It's like, sure. And what I'm hearing from you is like, what a wonderful opportunity to really, yeah, like to be with what it's been. And I this is what I always say to people who are trying to quit. I'm like, we, we're so scared because we don't have the rituals to be like, to integrate, not integrate, but like almost like digest what we have had. Yeah. So then we think we just lose it all. But for you, like a hundred people that you wrote these beautiful emails to, all the people you kept in touch with, and or, like the people you met before you left, like that's so rich. Yeah. So rich. I think that word integration is spot on though, Sarah. I think, I think you're right. And on the other side of that line, um, I think this is this is this is just a voice of experience for anyone. You don't know what the other line, what the on what the other side of the line is going to be. So you quit something, and you don't actually know, and you will never know until you quit, until you leave something, until you cross that transition line. You won't actually know what life is like until the other side. You can plan and fill in spreadsheets till the cows come home, but it's meaningless until you've meaningfully ended <laughs> and i mean for me sometimes those meaningful endings can feel a bit messy a bit blurry but you know packing all your gear up and stepping on a plane and then turning up in perth that's a pretty and not having any of those communities around you anymore is a, is a really clear way of actually having that line you know as you say maybe that opportunity doesn't always happen with endings because you might still be around people like your coactive community, right? You might still be seeing some of those people. So sometimes those lines can feel a little bit more blurry, but in fact, something has happened. But what I was, sorry, what I was going to say about integration was when you're on the other side, because nothing has manifested yet, um, the integration, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just tell, speak from my own experience rather than making an assertion. From my, from my experience for the last year and a half, I haven't noticed that integration because there's been nothing. The manifestations come very slowly. Like I haven't started a, I haven't started a band yet, or I haven't, you know, gone out into the musical communities yet. You know, um, I haven't done much coaching here or, you know, da, 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 da. So um, I have to trust that all of that integration and all that experience and everything, all those wonderful interactions I had with people and all the lessons I learned and all the life and love that was given is all within me. But perhaps, but it certainly doesn't feel apparent. And sometimes it feels like it's not there anymore and it's all gone. It feels like it's all gone. And I've had many moments like that. I think some of that has added to the feeling of depression or anxiety where you kind of go, oh, that was then and uh, it's never coming back. And of course those manifestations are gone and they are never coming back. But other manifestations, but yeah, but there's a, I think in quitting, there's, um, use a word, intention, hope, faith, you know, that even though those, this, the spirit of things which are still important to you, you have the, I, I'm, and I'm needing to find this constantly and have hope that the spirit of those things that are important to me, um, will find a home again on the other side of the line.
but they will not be immediately apparent. Yeah, and do, do you feel like you will look for those same things? Or are you kind of like, I wonder what this iteration of Rob is going to be? <laughs> uh, very much. It has felt like being a seed under the snow. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, and, and as such that uh, as, as impatient as I am to see some movement on the surface, um, that drift ain't budging or hasn't been budging. Maybe there's some signs and, and, and shifting and movement now, but um, I've been looking at the snow going, come on, <laughs> break through little That's, guy. And 18 months is a long time. And it's not, and it is, right? Like I, I, I feel yes. like I have conversations with, with a, I've got a few friends who've really drastically changed their lives in the last few years. And there's like, it's like, few years on oh my god I'm still not sure what this is going to be yet but like with yeah. every year like more kind of humility <laughs> of like okay uh, this is taking this is taking its time <laughs> yeah you know it's we can't rush it but it's oh my god I just think you're incredibly brave Rob I think you're incredibly brave to have done what you did like it's such a huge thing thank you I have a huge resistance, but I'll, I'll accept it. Thank you. <laughs> What's the what, for me saying you're brave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does um, it feel like an inaccurate like um, description? Well, it's not what it feels like on the inside, right? Mm. I, you know, I think bravery is often, um, I think there's some Brene quote about that, but whatever it looks like on the outside, on the inside, it looks like... Um, I had a moment actually. Yeah, I had a moment. Um, I was talking to a Hindu friend, and um, he's a, he's probably got twenty years on me. And you know, Cam, his name's Cam, and um, he was talking about his practice of contemplation and and how you know that's part of his rituals. And when he'd learned contemplation, uh, he was at his uh, at a um, a garden in his guru's garden. And the uh, the the job or the activity for the afternoon was to um, just find something in the garden and to contemplate it for a, a long time. And so Cam, some so some people contemplated, you know, rocks and whatever. And uh, Cam contemplated a flower, and uh, he said, and as I was looking at this flower, looking at how beautiful it was, he said, I saw an ant walking over the flower, you know, and kind of feeding off it. And as Cam was sitting there, he goes. And what I realized as I was contemplating it is that the flower was going to let it. Yeah. And that was, I don't know, that really moved, that really moved me. And so that afternoon, actually, I went down to the, the beach, which is a five minute walk down the road, which is brilliant, right? Like, don't get that in London. No, no. So, so there's, 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 that's a, this has a place in that conversation as well about talking about what is here. And, and we're yeah. going to go to that next. Yeah. Um, but I went down and I contemplated, I contemplated a wood beam, just a wood beam, just for a while. And I realized no one's coming to save me. And I burst into tears. But I, th I, but I think that thing your friend's talking about with humility, it's like, I think, you, I, th I think what I'm coming to is the realization or the experience of learning to see that it's all within. Right. And that I was, and, mm. and I was, I was, and of course I was very attached. I was so attached to imaginary millions. I was so attached to some kind. I was so attached to some of my personal relationships. 
because they mirrored me. And now in some ways I need to find, build that mirror for myself, in myself. So that actually the, the journey will lead me to a more powerful place. But um, the idea that no one's going to save me. And in fact, that, that I have to reflect that integration from within me um, and recognize it and honor it myself is actually just beginning to emerge but that's the that's the big massive learning here and and that takes so much time and that takes so much time to that point about time so so, so much, much time. time i mean it was Especially, 12 years the other side right 12 years of you building the community totally right right so now right. but I, and i'm hearing you say that i also think there's a place for community of helping us find our identity like i don't know if we always have to do it alone but what i don't know if i'm hearing this correctly but like what i'm sensing is it was so much part of your identity to see it your your connection to others that it's like and who am i without it not that massively you always yes. have to be alone but like you also need, you almost need to be comfortable in either right like sometimes i'm with others Sometimes yeah. I'm alone, but it's like, I'm comfortable with both. But when in by being alone, you're like, oh God, I, I can't survive or however it feels. That's when that's like, right. okay. That is, because I suppose hearing you say that, I was like, oh no, but I think, I don't think it's like bad that you had all these communities that you felt is like a gorgeous human thing. But maybe that's the nuance of. I think you're, you're spot on, Sarah. Exactly right. I, I do not, uh, um, if there was a, com a supportive community that was that I found tomorrow that would help me in this journey, I would be there in a flash. And also, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a person who, you know, in, in all the leadership tests and, you know, psychometric things that I do, um, pleasing people is uh, kind of the the strength and the weakness, you know, like I can bond, I can bond very quickly with people. I can build intimacy really quickly. Um, but that also means that I can get enmeshed with people quickly as well. And that's kind of the, the, the shadow side of it. Um, and so the opportunity, here we go. So here's the opportunity in, in this part of the journey is, um, is to be, and this is a cliche, but to be alone, but not to be lonely. That's the that's the opportunity. And rather than rather than, because it's so easy for me. I'll tell you what I did the other day. This is this is um, this is something, as part of that journey. One of the decisions that I took, um, was, uh, I took I had a therapist last year. It was a female therapist. And um, I have a thing, I have a, the enmeshment thing uh, happens more with women and we can talk about why it comes from, from my parents, but we're not going to right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but that's where it comes from. Right. So I, so there is, there is some, there, there is something there. And so when I am, when I am opposite uh, female, I'm just going to use those terms just loosely or, you know, generally um, I will look to get emotionally enmeshed that's that's like that's almost that's almost my survival technique and so if i'm with a female therapist um it's actually uh, the, the same thing actually begins to play out already in the therapy room so so uh, last week i started with a male therapist and there was a sense of being alone in that room where 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 um 
I was just there with my stuff with someone going, so yeah, let's have a look at your stuff. And it was, it was much less fun, but far more powerful. <laughs> it's so interesting, the stuff, isn't it? Doom, doom. I want to share just a few things around imaginary millions because actually that that taught me a few lessons as well. Yeah. So imaginary millions was a jam night that I started. So it was um a I won't go into all the detail, but someone offered um a space a regular space to me, which which was the book club in Shoreditch, which which is mm. one of the biggest gifts I've ever received in my life because that space is amazing. And um. So I brought my band in there and I, and I brought in a few um, performers um, that I knew would, would make the, the night run and then an audience would start to come. For the first few months, I had next to zero audience because I was just doing the that part all wrong. And then I met, um, there was a woman who was a barista at the co-working space that I was working at at the time, second home. Her name was Joy. She was leaving that space and I said, what are you doing next? And she said, I want to go into A&R music. And I said, oh, do you want to help me out with, with my jam night while you're working stuff out? She said, yeah, sure. And then within three months, we had 100, 120 people every yeah. every month. We had, we, had, we had a room full. So Joy was, we call her Mama Millionaire. She was crucial and, <laughs> and absolutely key in actually um, enlivening the community. It was, I went once, it was so incredible. I'm just sad I didn't get down there more, but like what a buzz. Unbelievable. So yeah, so the, I mean, just for those, just very briefly, the idea was we had a we had a house band, we had two microphones at uh, at the front um, of the room. And at any point, if a microphone was free and you know whoever was in the audience was feeling the music or feeling the vibe or whatever, they could get to the microphone and either do something with what the band was doing or they could turn around and say to the band, Hey, can we go take it in this direction? And we were happy with either way. And so, you know, on a night cool. we'd have, you know, 20 people come up, you know, over two hours and we would always have someone who had never performed before, you know, kind of with a piece of paper and having to start again and, you know, with huge applause or, or like seasoned performers like Selma Wadani or those kinds of people who would just stand up and just, blow the room away just with their eloquence and and presence you know and both were so in, equally important so when i was leaving much like all my other relationships i wanted to kill it um i wanted to end it and and make and give it a really clear ending um, and someone in this community really really well is emma warren who um she's written about um, the space in total refreshment center i got friendly with emma and we went for a walk and I uh, talked about imaginary millions and she said, Rob, this is not yours to end because it belongs to everyone. So then, and she was right. And so um, I chose a few, I chose, I think six or seven people who were key to the night who had been there pretty much from the start, including Joy and Poet Curious and Jamir. And I kind of, I kind of feel the spiritual people who spiritually always held the room. They were always there and whether they performed or not, they were always holding the room. And so we had we had pizza one night in Shoreditch and you know we each said what we wanted and I said I want to kill it uh, and then so and then someone else said well I want this from it and someone else said well I want that from it it's like all right um so I said I'm I'm handing it over to you you know like it, it's yours and I trust that when it needs to end that you'll do that together and that wasn't yeah that wasn't easy uh, like for me my own 
sometimes in endings it can be a bit of an ego thing with like look at me ending this thing you know there was a bit of that there and it's like no that's not for you that's not for you to do yeah maybe you're right it is a bit of ego if like i'm the only person that can keep this alive or like 100 percent. yeah or, yep, or yep, yep. you want the clarity because it's very vulnerable to keep something in the world when you're it's like you know sending a child off to uni that's right what's it's what's it's life beyond me what's it's life yeah. beyond me yeah, and it may not, and and to be and be comfortable with that, it may not go in the direction that you that you would have chosen. Wow, it, I really this. I mean, we could have a whole podcast just about like the life form of these creative projects. But I do want to go on to yes. hearing about your big quit. And I mean, this is when I read this, I was like, wow, this is huge. And I I love that you distinguish like London, you left, this you quit. What would you like to share about this? Yeah, so maybe the context first. So um, when I was 14, um, my family and I joined a religious community church called Revival Centers. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something weird that happened, but it's, but it's crucial to the story. Um, from a very young age, I had this idea that I wanted to be close to God. And I always felt like I was in communion in some way, but I was always looking. And my, and my mom was the same. And so we would have lots of conversations about this. Um, and then there was someone, we were living in a caravan park that we ran. We were running a caravan park. And there was a guy living in the caravan park who would tell us about an experience you could have from God where you would speak in tongues and then you would know that God existed. And so mom had the experience and then she and she told me about it and i went to my bedroom and i said i just prayed i was 14 i was on my knees and i said god give me the holy spirit and then i spoke in tongues too so that experience happened right and mm. i can tell you there was a noticeable difference before and after so that's a thing that in happened. what sense difference in your um, in yourself I, I felt i felt i felt connected i felt deeply connected to something after afterwards i felt really really deeply connected and i haven't lost that feeling or connection so that's a thing that happened now this guy who had told us the experience was from revival centers and so we started going along to this church and so what's interesting i think is where a church has dogma uh, every church has dogma and they attach it to a experience so because you had this experience um, we're now going to tell you all the other things that are true. And those things include that Jesus is returning, that this church was very male-focused, like it, 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 not, it, doesn't do a, it does an awful job at um, supporting its female members <laughs> um, and, and, their and their contribution. But I went along with all of it. Because I had this experience, I just went, yep, I, I trust your interpretation of the Bible. Because this experience is, is detailed in the Bible, I'm now going to believe and be taught, you know, all these things. So that was when I was 14. And I'm now, I'm now 42. And I left when I was 41. And uh, like I mentioned before, I was a pastor for the church in London as well. We had a small group, maybe 20 people or something, 20, 30 people. Hard to talk about. It's really like, it's really hard to talk about because if you ask me in my normal day to day, Rob, do you believe that women, gays, uh, anyone are you know equal i would say yes i would abs they are abs everyone is absolutely equal and yet i was part of a community where i was 
saying, well, this is, but this is different because this is, this community is God's community, whereas out there is the world, which is not God's community. Um, but it's amazing what the stories you can tell yourself or the way, and this is important, the way that you can hold two things at once. And in the end, that's the thing that got to me. So uh, between 14 and 29 or 28, when I was living in Australia, the church was my primary social place. It was, it was the center. It was the, it was the middle. And what happened was, so most of my friends were in the church. You know, my, my, I met my wife in the church. We got married in the, you know, rah, rah, rah. Um, when I moved to London, I began and, you know, I saw the person walking in brick Lang, and I went, oh, you can be anything you want to be. Okay. I'm going to do improv classes. Now I'm going to learn this. And I want to do it. You know, now I want to do death course now, you know, whatever it was, I was like, oh, I'm exploring all these parts of myself that I've never had room through imaginary millions, meeting so many different people from so many different backgrounds. And now um, my, whereas before my my spiritual view was always being informed from the inside of the church, now all of a sudden the, my spiritual view is being informed by all these people that I was reflecting of and going. And, and I began to realize actually who I was. And I think, I was meeting people who were affirming the parts of myself that actually I knew I wanted to affirm about myself, like my musicality, my sexuality, even, you know, even just who I was as a sexual person, which within the church is never talked about. Who are you as a sexual person? Even that just as an idea, right? And yes, maybe my sexuality is as I am, you know, straight, whatever, but that has its own life as well. You know, <laughs> that has so much nuance in life as well. And that had, that had no play. Um, and so here were all these people validating me and I went, yes, I am this person and I've been hiding it. And that integrity part became in the last three or four years became really difficult to hold. Um, so, so I, so I'm a part, so to be really clear, I'm a pastor in a church where there are no female pastors and I'm in a congregation where some of the, where most of the women should be female pastors, <laughs> probably even, you know, um, in terms of their contribution and the way, you know, and so, and, and in any other, if I was running my own business um, and I try to, like I, I was running my own consultancy, there were many people who I'd worked with and most of them had been women because I don't know, that's, uh, that's where I saw the leadership or the, you know, whatever. So, so now I'm in these two communities and in one community, I'm holding this point of view and in, which is, which I know, so that I have a knowing, right? I began to rely on my knowing rather than relying on what I was told I should know. Um, And the reason that I stayed, even though it was difficult for me, even the reason I stayed a part, uh, a pastor in London was because um, the growth that we found in the group was greater than the pain of holding those two views, right? And and, and that's a value judgment, right? Um, and if, uh, anyone, if anyone said, Rob, that, that's a really poor use of integrity or whatever you might say, I'd go, you're probably right. But that, that was my choice. Maybe sometimes you have members of your family that have slightly odd views, but you're like, but they're my family <laughs> and I'm going to love them and I'm still going to spend time fully, with them. And fully, absolutely. And and this group of people in London were um, 
were as meaningful as any group that I was part of. Like the, these people helped, like we were the, the way that we were able to reflect of each other. And I kind of, kind of felt like we were all kind of looking at these dogmas and rules and going, hmm. <laughs> so I, I felt like there was, the, I, 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 and I, so I felt like we could actually dive into the things that mattered and we would all do our best with the, um, we would all do our best with the preconditions that we had agreed to come to meet with each other, you know, and we all did our best in our own way with that. But we all, but the reason we were all there was because I did grow so much. And I you know there's so many stories I could tell of how people interacted with each other and what happened and how we supported each other or other people, you know. And so all those things were meaningful, but the conditions of the community and the dogma that surrounded it were clearly had an expiry date. And in fact, the expiry date hit probably, you know, three years before we left. And so then moving back, um, just out of habit or just we just wanted to see we just wanted to see so we we went to the revival centers here locally where we live and now all of a sudden i didn't know most of these people and i have no autonomy <laughs> um and all the things that i'm sitting there and i'm cynical in every in every meeting and um uh, you were done yeah, it just, sounds like done and um i read this book called radical excuse me called radical dharma um which is about a black buddhist community in the u.s it's an amazing book it's so interesting um i recommend anyone reading it and um the it's written by three of the i think they call themselves reverends um, three of the reverends um, write and they say, you know, in our community there is anger and, you know, and there is there is so much pain and people will respond to the things that are happening in the black community in the US really differently. So some people will arrive angry and want action and other people just want to grieve and don't want action. And mm -hmm. so those things in, in our community will create tension, but that's what we, that's what we're here to sit. That's why we're sitting with each other to actually be with each other in whatever we feel so those aren't so that those kind of tensions or conflicts are not reasons to leave a community he said the only reason to ever leave a community is when there's no longer love there yeah and it's really i read that i read that i think in perth actually i was reading that book in perth just you know right at the transit so we were you know two weeks in a hotel in quarantine in perth on the 14th floor or something and i read that book when i was there and um that's that's stuck with me and i'm not saying that in the community here there aren't loving people or anything like that but there is still a truth to that in maybe in just even in how i was able to engage with that community So I kind of sat in the back row for a year or nine months, whatever it was. You know, it was fine. It was fine. And um, Christmas hit, and you know, Chris, there was a there was a Christmas break, and then after, and Pam and I kind of it was kind of really quiet. I'm really I'm really curious actually about other experiences that people have had with quitting, but it was this one was a really quiet one, where 
and and, and Pam left for her own reasons, which are, um, you know, for her to talk about. Uh, but, but you both, both left come, at the same time. But we did both leave at the same time. Mm. Um, and it was just quiet. It was just like, all right. And then, you know, the first Sunday came around uh, in the in the new year and we didn't go and it, it didn't. Um, I, I My bet is that so many people, when people quit sometimes, um, it's years overdue, <laughs> right? And so it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, I've just caught up with myself. Right. Well, you said for three years in London, you weren't sure. And and what, right. that, that phrase of like, when there's no love there, I think it's when you admit to yourself that there's no love there. <laughs> Fully, 100%. I heard a um I heard a an um an example this morning of um how sometimes it's the gift of being of someone giving you the gift of having to quit um a few years ago in in um in Australia the banks were lending insane amounts of money to people like insane amounts which was then putting which then people would then you capitalize on buy a beautiful house but then be under tremendous pressure to service it um and the australian government did a commission and there was a huge thing and so there was a whole bunch of foreclosing that happened soon after that and um one of my friends here was uh um she she said there were she was telling me about this this morning uh, over coffee and she said there were men handing over the keys in tears but rather than being in tears because they had to let go of their home they were so grateful because and um, the pressure of having mm. to maintain the mortgage was so much and so now and they could never admit and say we i can't handle this but it was the gift yeah. of you know of, of going no you have to quit this it was like oh thank goodness yeah 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 Absolutely. Well, I think that's why some people get themselves to burnout because it kind of feels like then there's no other option, but they haven't had to actually make a difficult decision. It's like your that's body right. makes it for you. I, I kind of call that passive quitting. I think it's like, you're not really quitting. It's like, it just, you have to, <laughs> we're like, yeah, yeah. We're like forced quitting. Yeah. There's something, and there's something in that, in the transition as well, like leaving London or quitting as a pastor in London would have been really hard to do and it, it would mm -hmm. have been truer to my integrity this one felt a little bit more quiet or a bit more what was what did you say it was no i don't think this was passive quitting passive okay because you no. you did you did take the I, it's passive i would say is when someone else speaks it's like when you when you lose your job but you wanted Fine, to time. quit anyway so yeah. then you're like yeah. oh okay well i guess i'll have to now <laughs> um fair enough but yeah i no, guess all this, I, I think this I, is, I, this is yeah. This made it plainly obvious. This the move made it plainly obvious. Yeah. Sitting in that room, it was just like, okay, this is done. This is really, really yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but then what's interesting is, um, and uh, this is going to come out in therapy in the next few months, I'm sure. Is again, it's another loss. It's a choo It's a choosing to let go of that identity. So now, so now who? who or what is God to me? Like before this, you know, before we started recording, you asked, are you leaving Christianity or are you leaving religion or what are you leaving? And, and I thought, oh, that's a great, that's a really good question. 
because people people from the community will ask me and this is the question i hate the most uh, what do you believe now mm. what do you believe because what they actually want to hear what a lot of people want to hear from that community is um i still believe in most of the tenants or i still or i still believe in these particular tenants which are the key tenants that are held because then i'm still okay Mm-hmm. which is really interesting, right? Like as long as you hold on to these tenants, then you'll still be okay, even if you're not in our community. Well, yeah. I, it's, so, it's so huge. And and I, I wonder if you had, um, did you do any ritual for this yeah. leaving, for this quitting? Or have you, or do no, you want to? Yeah, no, that's, that's just a great question. It hasn't happened yet. And, and yeah. part of that is because, um, uh, when I when I wrote the person who had you know who had had a bad experience with working with, um, they wrote back, and now then there's closure. It's, and and it, and it really was closure. Like I was like I have I forgive that person completely, and I don't think about those that money anymore. Whereas I thought I had forgiven them beforehand, but then whenever I was in a tight financial spot, I would think about that person and go. I would have been. I would have been this much up, more up. <laughs> it's funny how often that came back. I haven't thought about it since since, since those emails, and so um, it still needs to happen. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is because I, I in some ways, I do want it to be two way. Right. Um. And I'm, I'm actually exploring this question right now in this moment because, um. No, there wasn't a clean cut, and it was it was really quiet. It was like, well, that's weird. That's out, <laughs> you know. And and we and we had a chat to the local pastor, and he was like, well, you know, you're welcome to come back when it, whenever you like. So even even there, having that open door there, um, you know, maybe I'll take it. I've got no idea. Certainly at this point in time, I don't believe I will. Um, but even having an open door there does something right it's it's back to that coaching thing of like well we should meet each other every week you know let's uh let's not be let's not be too final and i and i get why that pastor here would say it because it's it's being welcoming and 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 I, that's exactly the right thing to do um but there's so much to process like there's so much that i'm thankful for and grateful for and it's it made me a lot of who i am through you know being through the, all the different um church communities that i've been in um, and there's things that I'm really, really angry about, <laughs> and, and, that are, and that and that are so unjust. And um, and and actually, there's people I still want to fight for. Actually, there's people who are in the community who I still want to fight for. And in some ways, I've left the structure of the community, but I'm still so connected with so many of the people. Or I still feel so connected. So this is this is this is the, and it, and in some ways I feel like being in integrity. I that chapter the chapter isn't closed until those expressions are manifested in some way. And maybe I can't fight for anyone. Maybe maybe that will be completely shut down, um, or maybe it's inappropriate, or whatever it might be. And you know maybe there is no forum for my anger to be heard, or anything like those things. But I haven't. I haven't started putting that work in myself yet. Like it's 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 been enough. It's been enough of what it has been. 
yeah and my sense is like this is something that's been your life since you were 14 yes so this is like your pretty much your whole life and and then there's some like physical quitting that you've done like I'm not going to attend anymore but there's like interrelational quitting emotional you know spiritual identity there's a lot of layers to this and and yet there's a lot of power in okay I'm just not I'm just going to experiment with not attending the services and it's like seeing how that feels and allowing your body to get used to that and that in itself might be enough for for the next 10 years that might be all that happens fully or or that you need to do I think I think what you I I think what you're speaking to Sarah Mm. yeah what you're speaking to Sarah is so important that the the quitting doesn't happen in a moment and and what gets and what gets quit right um i think i think that part is so interesting and also it might have been right like we might have left and gone oh cool i'm happy now <laughs> you know or whatever that that's that's um good over um but in fact as you're saying I couldn't have told you that I wanted to fight for people um, the day after we stopped coming. I couldn't have, I couldn't have told you that. Um, So, and I couldn't have told you um, my sense of the kind of spiritual communities that I want to be in now. And um, yeah, because it's, it's the end but the end is kind of a. The end is the end. I mean, this is a cliche, but the end is a really long new beginning. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's I, a I, really, it, really long new beginning. You, you've really. I mean, the word that's coming to you is like blank slate. I mean, you've you've literally taken everything out of your life apart from your immediate family. That's right. And you are going, who am I now? What do I believe? And you get to decide. You get to decide without any like filter or anything getting in the way. Yes. Right. You get and and you may re-choose things. I it you know, kind of reminds me of like after lockdown, everyone kind of got to be like, okay, I haven't seen anyone or done anything. What do I want <laughs> to now intentionally bring mm-hmm. back into my life again? Like, mm-hmm. do I still like now we've had a pause like what am I choosing and you've really done that like on a massive scale and it may be that you know in a year's time you are back in a church or or maybe you join a different religion or maybe you start who knows but the point is it's that you're on a journey of curiosity right now and that doesn't have to be rushed and actually it could be really it could be really exciting like wow what do I believe but also yeah overwhelming (laughs) That's right, and, and I think I have I have a um, uh, a policy or a rule of thumb that I'm going by now, which is um, when people say, "What do you believe?" Through my journey in the church, one one key realization, and I wrote about this in in, in the newsletter, was this idea about Jesus returning. And actually, I think that's the, that's the thing that that that's the stick. That's the stick which holds people, lots of people in the church. Um, and even saying that I don't believe Jesus is returning is still really hard for me to say because that's such a core tenant. And, you know, if anyone from the community listens to this, they would, I don't know, whatever. That's still hard for me to say. 
Um, but it's, it is what I believe that I don't think Jesus is returning. But here's here's the thought experiment that I did. So we we were taught to believe that Jesus is returning, and then you know, and that we would be meeting him first in the air, right? Which is a great little carrot. And one of the thoughts I had, which 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 happened at about three years, you know, before we left London, was all right. So imagine you'd spend twenty years every day just believing fervently that Jesus was going to return. And then one day you woke up and you went, oh, gee, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, you were really kind of, you just had a moment. You had a, and that was the day that Jesus re- returned, you know. Would you be taken up or not? And I and I would do this, I've done this thought experiment with lots of people in that religious community. And everyone says, oh, you would absolutely be there. Oh, I see. So, if, would you be, um, would, 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 if, would you had, if you had lost your faith, and then one he day. returned. Yeah. yeah. Would you still be counted as, as a follower? Would I still be counted? And and everyone who I've asked that question to, that thought experiment to, has said, yes, absolutely. You know? And so, the, and then I realized it's got nothing to do with what I hold in my head. But it's got everything to do with um, what my behavior is. <laughs> and, so, and, what, and, what, and what I can experience from what I, where I learn through my experience. Those are the only two things that actually matter. And my beliefs will come and go, but actually they should be fluid and they should absolutely respond to whatever experience I've had. Um, you know, and the only thing that really matters is not what I believe, but what I do, because that, that demonstrates my values or my, you know, whatever. So I refuse. So when people say, what do you believe? I say, well, I don't, you know, um, well, I've learned this through these experiences. <laughs> You know, and that's it. That and that's, and and everything that I do from now on, I want to be treated in the same way, rather than adopting a dogma and going well. And I know that's impossible to do, right? But I want to hold those dogmatic things so much more lightly, rather than. So the experience that I had when I was fourteen, that that happened, and I know how I felt before, and I know how I felt after, and there's still a huge power in that, and I honor that experience fully. Um. And there's so many other experiences along the journey as well that that have been as meaningful. Um, and I intend to have many more. And I and I look I look for them. I look I look to be. Don't tell me something, but show me an experience that I can have where I can learn it for myself, where I can experience it for myself. And that's and that's maybe the that's the new that's the new rule of thumb that i'm going with that and that's 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 only started since we've come on this side of um back in australia again. god it's like a huge new chapter isn't it it's huge and and as much and there's a part of me which is impatient and wants an you know like the part of me which my ego and that wants control says something should already exist you should already have a band you should already know who you are you should already be seeing these things you should already have friends you should already, you know, like, and those, I'm, I get that message from my brain constantly. Um, and, you know, and that'll get me down sometimes, but the only thing is experience. And what I've noticed, I do want to express myself musically, but in the last year, I haven't reached out and joined a band. I haven't, you know, really gone to any jam nights. I've experienced a crisis of confidence, you know, like, I, oh, am, I, am I, you know, can I really do that here or whatever? And that's, that's all got to be okay rather than diving in and saying, rather than, I think to me, that's, I prefer that. I'm not going to say it's better. I prefer that to going, 
I need a band now because that's what I had in, in London or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's like you've got out of a relationship and then you're having some time being single <laughs> rather than just jumping into the yes. next relationship. It's like London was this long-term relationship for you. And it's Massively. like, wait a minute, I'm just going to have some time on my own, remember who I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, there'll be a time for another band and it will be the right time. And But I, I'm, yeah, I'm just hearing like not to make it out of like, wanting to fill a hole or fill a fill a gap in your identity yeah um yeah and and also man i got caught up in that relationship in london i got so caught up in that and you can almost say i did lose my identity because i identified with those parts so deeply and of course how could i not right (laughs) um but also I'm also curious, and this is a curiosity that I have, and this is a curiosity I'm taking into therapy at the moment, is do I have to identify myself so deeply with the things that I create in the future? Do I have to be so enmeshed with them? Or or can I or or is there another way of being that I've never been with before, which is actually maybe maybe healthier for me, healthier for the other thing, and actually might mean that those things endure beyond my participation in them. That sounds like a great inquiry to end (laughs) the episode on. Um, Yeah. Wow. This has been such an amazing conversation, Rob. I I know you're a storyteller, but I just feel that this was such beautiful, (laughs) beautifully expressed. And I just, yeah, I'm thinking of so many people I'm already excited to send this episode to who are like going through big changes. And I think, you know, you've literally done the like, 10 out of 10 change your life um, and maybe other people <laughs> listening will have like smaller versions of this right like leaving a long-term yeah. relationship moving cities yeah maybe changing belief systems you know closing a project what what is like your your kind of offer to them if they're going through yeah. that right now what would yeah. you no, what's your the, what's your word the, what are your words <laughs> that's exactly what was on my mind was yeah um with any new practice, and I feel like I'm in a new practice now, you're going to feel like you're doing it wrong and that whatever you're doing is not, you're not doing it right. I felt like that when I started doing yoga, when I started doing improv, you're, you're, um, you're going to feel like you're going to do it wrong and you feel like it's doing nothing. And that could, you could feel that way for a long time. You say to me, it's a 10 out of 10 change. I say, I have no idea what the heck it is and is it all over because there isn't because yeah yeah so I I just want to go that's what the that's the interior life of this moment um and uh and the only the only way in is through experience so I've got a surfboard I'm I'm running um half marathons um I'm taking I'm I've got a bike and I'm taking my bike around places I'm meeting the locals um, and they're really, they feel like small things and they feel, they feel too small. They feel too small to do anything. Um, but those are the things. Yeah. And this is also a thing about leaving London because London is also amplified. You, you, when you like a lot of other cities in the world, you don't have to achieve as much <laughs> to feel like a normal human. Like Fully. when I lived in Spain for a year, it's like, it's enough to spend time with your friends 
yeah. and go to work and that is a beautiful yeah. life and I was like what where's the achievement and where's the where's the really big stuff good. and it's like really good. I also yeah. think like there's the leg the hangover of London is like actually almost um it's like kind of getting out like deprogramming yourself from needing it's everything detox, to be totally it's a detox yeah. from yeah. from achievement it's a real achievement yeah. city and it's a wonderful inspiring place and look at the things you created and also your nervous system can have a little break now and be like cool yeah. I'm just gonna surf and what a lovely life and I bet there's so many Londoners that are like oh I would what I would <laughs> give for a right. surfboard in, in Australia yeah. right now so yeah. Yeah, it's a different experience, but it's not less, really not less. And they're small, but they are beautiful that they're small because what a relief for a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, excited for you. Um, Rob, is there anything that you would like to promote or shout out about? I mean, that's kind of like a funny segue, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm doing nothing. So, yeah, what are you promoting? But actually, is there anything you would like to share that people can find out about or or not? Yeah. There's one thing um, for three years on and off. And again, it hurts me to say on and off. Um, I write a weekly newsletter called the letting go. And uh, the I started it. I started it um, when I started it. The, I thought I'm just going to write one thing that I'm letting, that I've let go this week. Um, and it's turned into, it's morphed and it's changed and it's moved through. But um, that idea of letting go. And of course, during the actual this was before we had decided to leave London that I started this newsletter and so then um, it, it, it's been such a gift uh, in the leaving of London and and then also to be recording what's happening on this side of the line as well um, so uh, so so you can go to tinyletter.com forward slash Rob Grundle and you can subscribe there oh and I'll put that in the show notes as well appreciate that awesome so lovely to chat to you have a great day rob thank you so much i've really appreciated the space i think um it's done a lot for me as well so i really appreciate the time the beating of the like the beating of the drum the beating of the drum the beating of the drum the beating of the thank you again rob for coming on the show and sharing so honestly about your experiences I've put in the show notes the link to Rob's album with the Imaginary Millions that was recorded just before he went to Australia and also the link to his weekly newsletter, The Letting Go. This has been series two of Knowing When to Quit. Thank you so much for being with us and we look forward to many more exciting episodes in series three coming up very shortly. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it, like it, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Thank you so much and have a lovely day. Let
the waters wash like the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the like the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum.